0: Uh, Today's message is called The Hangover, and we're going to be looking at two primary passages of Scripture today, Exodus chapter 32 and Hebrews chapter 12. First, a little bit about Exodus. It's the second book of the Bible, for those of you who don't know, second book of the Bible. Um, Most people agree that Moses was its author, or or at least its primary author, and the word Exodus uh, means exit or departure. Now, if I could summarize very, very simply uh, the story of Exodus. It's about God commissioning a guy named Moses to lead a group of people called the Israelites out of captivity from a nation called Egypt. And then after they've been delivered from that captivity, God's setting up a very special covenant with the Israelites, really calling them his people. And there are several important theological themes in Exodus, but a few that are That are are worth mentioning are we have the introduction of God's name, we have a description of his attributes, we have uh, this idea of redemption or a buying back, we get the introduction of the Mosaic Law, we also call the Old Covenant, and we get pretty detailed instructions on how God desires to be worshipped. In this particular passage, we find the Israelites, they're out of Egypt at this point, and they are at the foot of uh, Mount Sinai. Uh, Mount Sinai is a really important uh, place in the book of Exodus. It's where Moses goes up during this time, up on the mountain to receive the details of this covenant that will be given through him to the people. And while he's up on the mountain, the Israelites are becoming impatient. And so that's where we are in verse 1, Exodus 32. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, up. These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Can anyone say, yikes? I think that's a good summary of that passage. All right. Hebrews is the next, uh, Hebrews chapter 12 is the next passage we'll look at. Hebrews is one of the letters of the New Testament. The author of Hebrews, many believe it's Paul. There's a lot of evidence that points to it being Paul, but we're just not quite sure. So I'm going to refer to it as the author or the writer of Hebrews, Uh, the the major theme or summary that I think we could see that Hebrews is trying to communicate is it's a letter specifically to Jewish people. It's important to remember because these Jewish people are coming out of a previous belief system, the kind of precursor or the the pre-existing belief system before Christianity, which is Judaism. But there's still a lot of pressure on them after the coming and, and the resurrection of Christ for them to revert back to Judaism, And so the writer of Hebrews is encouraging these these Jewish believers to continue to mature in their newfound Christian faith while also warning them not to slip back into Judaism. In this passage, the writer is just coming out of this really kind of famous, cool part of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 11, some of us, we, we would refer to it as the hall of faith where he recounts Kind of a summary of the Old Testament, but really talks about these different heroes of the Old Testament. We'll call them heroes. And they're these, they're these people who, they, they were faithful to God and following the Lord, even after they received these promises from Him and never really saw the full fruition of those promises during their time here on earth. So just coming out of this, this uh, summary of all these heroes of the faith... In the beginning of Hebrews chapter 12, he says, Therefore, or he or she, I'm assuming he, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. A little more positive. You guys pray with me. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your word, sharper than any two-edged sword, splitting even between soul and spirit. What a mystery that your word could be so profoundly true and speak to us today just as relevantly as thousands of years ago. Lord, we love you and we trust you. We pray that your word today would change us from the inside out, that it would go deep into our hearts and that we would never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. So for those of you who don't know me very well, I would consider myself a bit of a Christmas junkie. Um, (laughs) Amen. Part of that for me means that I start listening to Christmas music on November 1st every year. (laughs) Yeah, I appreciate that. The people who understand what a joy that is. Some of you may be thinking, well, that's a month too early. And I would respond, no, it's just on time. Think about it. You know, you're just coming out of the darkness of October 31st and into the glorious light of the Christmas season. We have, I mean, think about it. I mean, I think it should be a national holiday, but until that happens, I'm working on it, but until that happens, I would just invite you into that practice with me. I really think it'll bring some joy to your life over, the, over that extra month of Christmas music. I, there's so much nostalgia tied up in Christmas for me. Um, I love all the little family traditions. I still go to my parents' house and set up their... Um, What's it called Nativity scene? Um, and and I, I love the decorations and, and the classic Christmas movies, and there's just this electricity about Christmas time. I mean, I still feel like a little kid. Um, there's, just, there's just something about it. And then Christmas comes, which is great. But they're like late on the night of the 25th or at least the morning of the 26th, all of a sudden all that buzz and electricity is gone. It's just all of a sudden, so much anticipation and excitement, and, and then it's over. And, it, and, and it's hard. And, 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 the, and the decorations, they lose their luster, and the exterior Christmas lights go from cute to, to cheesy to, hey, are you guys okay? <laughs> and, 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 and then all of a sudden, all these, these, these wonderful songs about snow and Santa, and most importantly, the birth of Jesus become a little tired. There's a reason why you don't hear us singing joy to the world in March. It just doesn't feel right. And then there's this little wave of excitement that comes again, right? There's this little hope we cling to. It's, oh, well, Christmas is over, but the new year is coming. And we get together with friends, and when we celebrate the new year, the the changing of of December 31st on one year to January 1st of the next year, and and there's expectation and there's hope that things could really change we make our lists, some of us write them down about all the goals we have and the changes that we're going to make and the new disciplines that we're going to have so we can better ourselves and become the most disciplined and, 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 I don't know, holy version of ourselves. You know, a lot of them are health goals, both spiritual, mental, physical, and it's good. But then January begins to wear on, and that early morning trip to the gym doesn't sound as exciting. <laughs> And those eating habits, all of a sudden, carbs come back into the the picture. And 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 this this passing excitement, this passing excitement, it it, kind of trails off and we just kind of fall back into regular life, which is the rest of the year. And this phenomenon is actually, it's actually called something, it's on Google, so I know it's true. It's called, it's called the holiday hangover. And it's not just about the Christmas holiday season, but it really can be any time where we take a vacation or there's a special time where there's all this expectation to rest and celebrate and so much joy, and then you return to regular life, and whew, it's a little bit of a letdown. And, um, you know, it's, it may not have quite as much of the physical pain and debilitation as literal hangover from the overconsumption of alcohol, which I'm sure no one in this room has ever experienced in their life. <laughs> but nevertheless, it does. holiday hangover does have real psychological effects and it can actually impact you emotionally and, 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 and mentally. And um, I think that because of that, um, during this timing, it's such a special timing. We are in the only weekend of the year, this year, in which we are between Christmas and New Year's. So Christmas is over and we've already had that initial want. But there's still that little bit of holiday optimism hanging around for New Year's, right? And so I think it's the perfect time for this message. And, and I do think that I do have a word of, maybe a little word of caution for you today. But I hope even more that it's a word of encouragement and hope. Because the holiday season, it, it's a relevant example of this phenomenon. But it's, it's actually just a kind of a sample size of of something that plagues humanity on a much greater scale. This idea of this built-up excitement. And, you know, since the beginning of of recorded human history, we've had this tendency to thrive in, in moments of inspiration and novelty, the newness, and then deteriorate when that moment passes into monotony and even addiction, discouragement, and rebellion against God. And this example in Exodus 32 of the golden calf has always been kind of puzzling to me. It seems almost over-exaggerated. Like, Israelites, how, how could you get to that place so quickly? You've just been delivered by God after four, over 400 years of captivity from Egypt. And you get to this mountain, and Moses is taking a little longer than you would hope. And so you put your earrings together and build a metal cow and then worship it. It is not an appropriate response. (laughs) I mean, if you think about it. But then after I take some time, you know, it's really easy to point the finger at Israel and to be like, you guys are crazy. You know, sometimes reading through the Old Testament, especially during like the desert years and everything, it's like, guys, get a grip. I mean, God is like really setting things up for you, and you keep botching it over and over again throughout the prophets, you know, Jeremiah, Isaiah, and it's like over and over again, but it's easy to point the finger at Israel, but Those very same tendencies exist within us. How many times has God shown himself faithful and then just a short time later we're falling back into fear and anxiety and worry and doubt? How many times have we had a mountaintop experience in the tangible presence of God and then days later we feel like he's not even there at all? How many times have, has he proven his worth and his glory over and over and over again? And then we find ourselves turning our affections and our attention to lesser things again. Yeah, the, the, the same tendencies that were in Israel we can find in ourselves. Uh, we, for whatever reason, humanity, we have this struggle with what we'll call spiritual amnesia. It's not a, I don't think that's a real thing, but that's what it seems like the most appropriate name for me. We forget the goodness of God. Oh, yeah. We're quick to forget it. Let's look back at, at verse 1 of Exodus 32. It says, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain. Have you ever let delay shipwreck one of your New Year's resolutions or a goal of yours? I can't tell you how many times I've heard things or said things like, Well, I was going to the gym every day, and I just didn't see any change in my body composition. Or I I cut out sugar, and I was drinking more than enough water, and I still didn't feel any more healthy. Or I was being faithful with my finances and being generous toward people, and I still found myself living from paycheck to paycheck. I read the Bible every day, and it just never came alive to me. I prayed for hours, and I just could never hear God's voice. See, we live in this culture that conditions us for immediacy. As soon as the desire comes, it should be satisfied. Some would call it the microwave generation. But whether it's food or information or entertainment or sexual pleasure or maybe just a last-minute gift you ordered on Amazon hoping it would arrive before Christmas Eve, It's this culture that comes with an expectation that says, I want it, so where is it? And we've been taught, conditioned to believe that delay is an enemy. But delay is not an enemy. In fact, delay is one of the great primary tools that God uses to work things into us and to work things out of us both of which are incredibly necessary for our growth and maturity as disciples of Jesus. It goes on to say in verse 3, so all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron, and he received gold, the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Israel, or I'm sorry, Egypt. <laughs> out of the land of Egypt. As I was reflecting on these words this week, I felt prompted with this question. What comforts and protections are you leaning on for your well-being that have changed God from your place of refuge to your backup plan? I have nothing against insurance or security systems or pensions, or retirements, or investments, or anything like that. But it's a problem when those things become your primary source of feeling safe, feeling like you're taken care of or provided for, while the true provider becomes, well, if all these other things fail, then maybe I'll have to rely on God. There's, no, there's, no, there's nothing wrong with having things. It's just it becomes a problem if things have you. You know, of course it would be <clears throat> barbaric in 2019 in the United States if we took all of our material things and we melted them down and then we shaped them into a calf and started worshiping to it. People would think we're nuts. But what if you just, in theory thought about all the things that have more of your time, more of your passion, more of your focus, and most importantly, more of your trust than God, and you combine them all together, you know, it doesn't really matter what shape they take. It's still a golden calf. The idea of a literal golden calf seems ridiculous to us, and although they had a big piece of metal, we have little pieces of metal that have very similar effects. It's easy to point the finger at Israel. But when we ourselves today, when we see a delay in our goals, and our dreams, our expectations, and it causes us to turn to the things of this world in our discouragement until we can no longer feel the pain of disappointment, we knowingly or unknowingly push God out of our hearts, and try to fill the void that is left behind with a counterfeit filler that never really fits right because the void that is left behind is a God-shaped void. It's a God-shaped void. If you, if, if you resonate with, with what I'm describing today, I, I, I don't want it to be this bleak outlook for you. I know that I'm delivering some, some difficult realities. What I want to tell you is that there's hope. If you feel that way, there's hope. There's hope if if all the things that you've tried to fill that void with haven't felt like they quite fit. And I think that a beautiful message of hope as it relates to these realities is found in this second passage that we read, Hebrews chapter 12. Let's look back at verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, that is to say, you are not alone. You are not alone in feeling like your efforts are not becoming rewards. You're not alone in feeling like all your aspirations are not coming to fruition. You're not alone in in not wanting to continue because you feel like it's not worth anything. There are many faithful ones who have gone before you, and for them, they went their entire lives after having received a promise from God himself, and they went to the grave having not had those promises yet fulfilled and remained faithful still. Why were they recounted in Hebrews chapter 11? Because of the way they responded to that great delay. That's why their names are there. Goes on to say, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. You may have a tendency, I've used that word several times so far and that's been very intentional, I say, you may have a tendency to sink back into old patterns and old ways. You may have a tendency to return to your sin like a dog returns to its vomit, but a tendency is not your destiny. And I'm going to say that again for 2019 North Idaho and America because it's something that we all need to hear. It's something that our generation needs to hear. For whatever reason, the mainstream media and entertainment would have you believe that any tendency that you have toward a particular behavior, toward a particular feeling, or toward a particular whatever inclination, that that is who you are and that is how your life is going to go. And I'm here to tell you today that that is a lie. The truth is instead that you have been given the authority just as the scripture says you've been given the authority to lay aside every weight and every sin, however close it clings. Some tendencies can feel very close. They can even feel like an identity. But that is not what God says about you. There is a lie that has crept into the church It's like Satan's okay with us being saved as long as we stay enslaved to the sin that we were dealing with before we were saved. It's like, okay, I'll let you go do your whole faith thing, but you're going to stay. You're going to stay real close to me. And the church has allowed the lie to such an extent that we have given our sin permission to stay. And I say it like that for a specific reason, because as a believer in Jesus, as one who is marked... And sealed by the Holy Spirit, the only way that a sin can stay with you is if you give it permission. There is no other way. It is time for us to stop lying to ourselves and saying, oh, this this sin is just clinging too closely. Well, well, the, the writer of Hebrews says that you can lay it aside, and God says that your inheritance is his image, and God says that your inheritance is his voice, and just in the same way that he spoke creation into existence, you can speak to sin and wait and say, be thou removed and be cast into the sea, and it has to go. That is the truth. It says, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I'm so glad it says it that way. It's really easy to read past that and say, oh, and run the race but it is the race that has been set before you. You are made for your specific race and your specific race has been made for you. You're conditioned for it, you're prepared for it, and you're made for it, but you have to know that you're made for it because if you don't know you're made for it, when fatigue starts to set in, you may be deceived into thinking that it's a sign that you're supposed to stop, but when fatigue sets in, it's actually a sign that your abilities are finally being put to good use. And not only are your abilities becoming put to a good use, but they are actually being honed for greater effectiveness. Yeah. Come on. Fatigue is your friend. It means something is actually happening. Every runner is excited at the starting line. They're bouncing around, doing their whole, you know, their whole ritual. <laughs> I don't know what that looks like. I have... <laughs> I haven't gone back and looked. But the champion is one who knows how to dig deeper than emotion when he feels like he has nothing left in the tank. Because when the runner feels like there's nothing left in the tank, that's when endurance begins. That's when endurance kicks in, and that's when you actually find out what you're made of. Endurance in the original Greek is a word we like to use around here. It's called hupomone. And literally, it's, it's a combined word, a compound word that is to remain under. That is to remain under the struggles of life and to persevere, to remain under the labors that are before us and to stay steadfast. I'm telling you, you are not cheap fabric. You're not that cheap stuff that, well, I don't want to say a particular store. That certain stores sell, that's made in another country and it just tears. I've had so many pairs of pants rip, I can't even tell you. Maybe it's because I, by the way, I move, but <clears throat> you are not that. You are Carhartt. You are made for bad weather. You are made for working. You are made to face something and then to persevere. You are made of some good stuff. You are made of what the Hebrew calls chutzpah. You got some guts in you and you are made to remain under and you were made to endure looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith you see we fix our eyes on Jesus not just as like the light at the end of the tunnel sometimes i think that that's what people think the christian faith is is you you say yes to Jesus and then you just make it through to heaven it's that's not the gospel the gospel is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So he's not, hey, he's not just at the end and he's not just at the beginning, but he's with you in the race. He's with you in the journey. He, the Bible says that he is our perfecter. That word is not used very often, but it is the same Greek root as the phrase tetelestai, which is the phrase that he uttered as he was hanging on the cross, it is finished. Jesus is the it is finister of your faith. He is with you in the midst of your mess, reminding you of the stuff that you are made of and teaching you how to dig deeper than your emotions and to keep running. (laughs) For the joy that was set before him, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross (sighs) under the most excruciating terrible torture imaginable what did Jesus see Jesus saw the joy what does that even mean though what is the joy the joy is you he saw you in perfect eternal relationship with him and with his dad and with the Holy Spirit and with each other as believers And for him that was worth every stripe every nail every wound i would just ask you can you see the joy can you see the joy that is set before you paul in first corinthians describes the joy set before us like this what no eye has seen nor ear heard nor the heart of man imagined what god has prepared for those who love him that's some great joy And I would just encourage you with this. If you can see the joy, you will endure the pain. If you can see the joy, you will endure the pain. That is what you are made of. Finally, in verse 3, it says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. My heart, my prayer for you In this new year coming and as we exit this holiday season is that you would remember what Jesus has done what he has endured and looking to him as our perfect example Jesus isn't just the ideal that we look toward and just know that oh we're always gonna be falling really short but at least we have Jesus no Jesus came as a man for a reason Why did Jesus do miracles as a man? To show us that we can. Exactly. Why did Jesus fight temptation and completely stand up against it as a man? To show us that we can. When we look at Jesus, I think sometimes we we look at him and we look at this far off thing, this, oh, he was, and he was. He was God in the flesh. But he was man to show us What was possible for those who believe? What is possible for those who believe is that today you would look at that addiction or that hang up that has been clinging so close to you for so many years and you would say enough is enough and enough would truly be enough. Jesus walked as a man so you would know that you could do that. Jesus walked as a man so that when someone comes up here, just like a lady did last night who said, I have cancer. She's got a, she had a breathing tube. Jesus walked as a man so that I, standing there, could lay hands and believe with all my heart that she would be healed. Yeah. Jesus walked as a man so that we could know how to walk, not just to look at this ethereal ideal up in the sky, but to know how we would walk. So my prayer for you is that we would look to Jesus as this perfect example and just as he endured just as he endured whenever the excitement of whatever cool thing that you face whatever spiritual high or emotional high or whatever's going on in your life when the emotion fades away maybe you're in a new relationship and and the hormones are going crazy when that fades don't go weary or faint hearted When you get that new job and you feel like it's the best job you've ever had but all of a sudden some of your co-workers are getting a little annoying and you realize that the work isn't really that great, don't grow weary or faint hearted. When you have to go back into that living situation after you had some spiritual high at church and where you rededicated your life and you felt the tangible presence of God and all of a sudden you're back in an environment where no one encourages you in your faith. Don't grow weary or faint-hearted. My prayer for you is that you would not grow weary or faint-hearted when any of the excitement of life fades, but that you would endure because you were made for mole. You pray with me.